0: Welcome everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible, written thousands of years ago, and yet they say it's supposed to mean something to us today. I'm your host, Jonathan the Dumb Christian, and in order for us to understand what it means to us today, we're going to try and understand what it meant to them back then. In John chapter 6, when Jesus feeds 5,000 and everyone wants to make him king, but then they're confronted with a reality about who Jesus is that they don't actually like anymore and everything Changes. The Bible is about to get very real. We might just get a little bit colorful, so buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. John chapter 6 is a long chapter. There is a lot to cover in this chapter, so please go read it for yourself. God says it the way he wants to say it. He'll always say it better than I can say it. I'm just a dumb Christian trying to wrap my head around something really crazy in John chapter 6. There's a few different things that happen, but they all tie together, so we need to do this in one go. And the way John chapter 6 starts <clears throat> is that John says it's the Passover again. This is the second Passover that John records, which means indicates to us that this is somewhere in Jesus's second year of ministry. He's already gone through the first Passover, this is the second one, and He's hanging out on the east side of the lake of, excuse me, the Sea of Galilee. This sea is miles wide across. It's also referred to as the Sea of Tiberias, but it's the large sea. Jesus grew up on the west side of the sea. He's now hanging out on the east side of the sea, and it's during the festival of Passover. Passover is at least a seven-day celebration so that we can get the full-blown experience of everything that God did to liberate Israel from slavery in Egypt. So Passover is like Independence Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Easter all rolled into one, and they have a seven-day party. Up in the northern areas, they can they might have a party that lasts 10 days, and the reason for this is so that there is enough time for people to go down to Jerusalem to make their sacrifices, right? We talked about that in... Uh, John chapter two, I don't, the temple slam it's whichever one that one was. And they go to the temple, make the sacrifice, but then you go home and you celebrate the Passover with your family and your friends. And you spend the rest of that whole week there together. So up North, they have a little bit longer to make sure you get the full celebration worked in, but Jesus is hanging out on the East side of this massive sea There's a town over there and people are coming to this Passover service. They're coming to hear this celebrity preacher talk about Passover, this holy holiday, this festival celebrating God's deliverance, his salvation, the way that he gives life to his people when they were faced with slavery and death. So they're seeking out Jesus, and the crowds keep growing and growing because he's doing miracles, signs, and wonders. John has only recorded a few specifically, but he does tell us that Jesus is doing all these signs and wonders, doing miracles. And what we need to understand is that whenever Jesus does a miracle, it's not that he's just doing a magic trick. He's not putting on a show to show off. He's not even just doing it to show the hey, I've got the power. John specifically identifies miracles as signs and wonders. Jesus is doing it as a sign to point people, to point their attention to the Father. Everything Jesus does, he wants to be understood through the lens that he's trying to orient us to look at the Father. So, he's performing miracles. People are coming to see him, to hear from him. And this crowd begins to amass. It's growing and it's growing. And because there's so many people, you don't always, not everyone gets a front row seat. Not everyone gets to talk to Jesus. Not everyone gets to talk to Peter and John. Sometimes people get stuck hanging out with the other apostles, you know, the ones that people kind of forget about half the time. And that is the case with one little kid who we're going to call Brett. And he, he, he you know took took his bike his parents told him to go play outside so he takes his bike and he drives down he sees a big crowd forming wants to see what's going up and he's just talking to anybody and everybody who'll listen and he finds himself attached to one of Jesus apostles named Andrew and Brett just can't stop talking to to andrew about everything going on in his life one time we went down to the creek and we caught these two fish oh my mom gave me two fish for lunch also she gave me some five barley loaves my friend and i we're gonna go down to the gas station and get some five cent fireballs but his mom wouldn't let him play so i'm stuck and i came here by myself and he's just going on and on and on talking to andrew like anybody know a kid like that and Andrew is like, you know, he's trying to be a good apostle, right? So he's he's listening to Jesus, paying attention, but he's also trying to not ignore the kid who's hounding him and won't let won't leave his side and just keeps going on and on and on. And it's getting late in the day. Um, I mean, some of these people have probably been with Jesus all day, maybe skipped breakfast, skipped lunch. It's getting late. Dinner was a couple hours ago. People are getting hungry, but they really want these tickets to the Jesus show. So they are willing to sleep on the sidewalk, give up a few meals in order to get those first tickets. Right. Anybody know what that's like? And it's getting late. And Jesus, you know, starts to make his way up onto this little mountainside. Not like a mountain mountain, but like, you know, a a high hill. And he turns around and sees all these people coming after him. And it's just this massive crowd. And so he he gathers around the apostles. Apostles, assemble! And they gather and he comes around and he's huddled up, looking around, lands on Philip. And he says, Philip, what are we going to do to feed all these people? A... He's a little bit sarcastic because he knows what he's going to do. And so he's just kind of like, I don't know if he's messing with them or he's testing them or what, but he says, Philip, what are we going to do to, to take care of the, to feed all these people? And Philip's like, Looking around like, what? This is ridiculous. There's no way we should even be entertaining this question. 200 days wages wouldn't feed these people, let alone where could we possibly get food? There isn't a McDonald's for miles. It's late. Why are we even having this conversation? That's impossible. That's not a thing that we could do. And Andrew, eager to get away from the kid that won't leave him alone, he says, oh, uh, this kid's got five loaves, five barley loaves and two fish. He told me, I know it. And then as it comes out of his mouth, he kind of like slaps himself on the head and says, but now that I say it out loud, I don't really know how that helps our situation. Sorry, I just wanted to get away from him for a second. And Jesus says, all right, bet. Have everyone sit down and then john makes this really interesting note about the environment that they're sitting in they're they're sitting by this large sea of water and he says there was a bunch of grass in this area he says have everyone sit down on the grass and it it, it's almost this like prophetic vision, this picture of the 23rd Psalm when it says the Lord is my shepherd he takes care of me I don't have any needs that he doesn't satisfy, he makes me lie down in green pastures next to water and he prepares food for me even in the presence of my enemies and it's just this picture like I don't know if it's supposed to be but As I read it, it just draws my attention to the way God takes care of us. And Jesus says, have them sit down. And he takes the five loaves from this kid and the two fish. And it says he gave thanks. God, thank you for this bread and this fish. And I thank you for how you're going to use it to meet the needs of everyone here. And then it says that he gave, he distributed the five loaves and two fish until everyone had eaten to their fill. Some scholars and teachers approach this text and they say the miracle that Jesus performed was that he inspired everyone to get out their transformer lunchbox and share with each other. Those who don't have lunch, he, he inspired them to share the food that they had with them. But the text says the Greek. You go back to the Greek. It says he distributed the five loaves and two fish. That's what he gave people, and it fed everyone until they were satisfied. Until they had, they, it says they ate everything that they wanted until they didn't want any more. And something that really strikes me as I read this, and and maybe it'll strike you too, is that. It says there were 5000 men. So that means there's and typically when when in that day when we account for people, we're accounting for able-bodied men. So within fighting age, usually like 20 to 40 or 50 somewhere in there. So there's 5000 men who are able-bodied there. But that doesn't include women, children, grandparents, so we're talking there could be 11 to 12,000 or more people here. And Jesus feeds all of them until they're satisfied. He doesn't say to his apostles, "Let's filter out the people who aren't who don't belong here." He doesn't say Let's sort out the people who really love God from the people who are just here because it's uh, a Christmas Easter sermon and they got to fulfill their, their Passover obligations, right? Let, let's, he, he doesn't say, let's sort anybody out. Jesus says, everyone who's here for me gets to eat until they're satisfied. Everyone, whether they deserve to be there or not and demonstrates that what he has to offer is not limited. And it really satisfies those needs that we have as people, regardless of our background, regardless of what we look like, how we behave, what we smell like, what we did earlier that day. None of that matters. Everyone who's there for Jesus gets fed until they're satisfied. And and they see this miracle that he performed. And it wasn't even just that he fed all of the people there. It says that there was so much left over that as the apostles walked through the crowds and they collected the leftovers from these five loaves and two fish, that there was enough to fill 12 baskets full 12 represents completeness, fullness. There's no lack in what Jesus has to offer. And they say, Wow, he takes care of everyone equally. Let's make this guy king. And I can't help but wonder if John mentions that there's 5,000 able bodied men here in the crowd because when they make, when they kind of rise up and they say, Let's make him king, it's, John says, they wanted to, Force him to be king. They wanted to make him king by force, implying they were ready to become an army in an instant. So immediately, Jesus would have a 5,000 men army at his disposal. And it's almost assured that if word spread quickly, this Jesus is going to be king, his army would amass very, very quickly. But there's a couple of things here that conflict with Jesus becoming king. First, He's on a very particular mission. He is here to do something very specific and becoming king probably will interfere with his mission and what he's trying to accomplish, which is as the Messiah, the one God sent to save, he is going to save people by dying. And he predicts this a few times. It's not here in this context, but he, he warns his apostles. He says, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to die. That's part of my mission here. Becoming king might interfere with that. But beyond that, Jesus is so good that he is not about to trick people into making him king over their community, over their nation, over their individual lives. Because he knows that something he's about to show them the next day might actually change their minds. And and he doesn't want to do like this bait and switch. We're like, okay, make me king. Now that I'm king, I'm going to drop a bombshell on you guys. But they're about to discover a quality about Jesus that changes their mind. These thousands of people who are eager, who are just head over heels for Jesus, want to make him king, are about to discover that this Jesus isn't who they think he is. And so what he does is he separates himself, removes himself from the crowd so that they can't force him to be king. They kind of lose track and they just kind of get caught up in the fact that, wow, I'm so satisfied. What a good meal that was. Jesus is peopled out. So he sends his apostles on in a boat. He says, why don't you guys head back to the west side of the sea? I'll meet you guys there in the morning. Now, they rode together, so they're just assuming, eh, he probably got a ride. He's going to hook up with somebody, some of the other buddies, and they'll bring him by in the morning. But Jesus just needs to go and be by himself. He is drained, he's exhausted, and he needs to be refreshed and revitalized by spending time with just himself and the Father. So he goes and he prays. And it's starting to get late now. And a storm moves in over the sea, and you can see it from the the shore. And it's getting crazy, and there's the waves are blowing. Lightning is hitting across the sea, and the apostles in the boat are becoming terrified. Large bodies of water are reflective uh, and related to death. You know, uh, we talked about this in dumb Christian thoughts. Water, Jonah, the flood, um, large bodies of water in particular, are associated with death. You throw a storm into that mix, terror overtakes, we are going to die. And then they see on top of that, a ghost walking on the water. Now, the story tells us, this is Jesus walking on the water because it's time for him to head over. He's gonna meet them like he said he would. He intends to just pass on by, We but uh, the apostles see him, lose their shit, freak out. It's a ghost. We're all dead. Large body of water, storm, ghost, triple omen. We are dead for sure. But Jesus says, slow your roll, boys. It's just me. This thing that you thought was death for sure is actually your source of life. This thing that you're afraid of, this thing that you can't wrap your heads around, that you don't understand, this thing that you think is going to bring about your demise is actually the only thing that can give you true life. It's Jesus. It's just me, boys. So they bring him onto the boat, relieved that he wasn't a ghost, and they begin to experience this peace he calms the storm they wind up on the other side and they're discovering wow he offers the experience of life in ways that we've never even heard of before they make it to the other side it's the next day and the crowd back on the east side begin to wonder where'd jesus go his boat's not here. He must have gone to the other side. So they get in their boats and they make their way across the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Those who don't have boats walk around the sea and they're trying to get to Jesus as quickly as possible. They finally make it back to the west side. Jesus, when did you get here? How long have you been here? And and he says to them, Jesus is really good about like cutting to the chase. He's like, okay, let's enough with the formalities, enough with the flowery talk. Let's get to the real reason you guys are here. You're not here because you love me. You're not here because you really believe that God sent me. You're not here because you believe I'm a prophet, because I, you believe I'm the Messiah, the one God sent to, to save everyone and, the, and all of creation. You're here because you had a good meal last night and you just want another one from me. And they say, well, okay, all right, we'll hear you out, Jesus Christ, Uh, if you really are the Messiah, if you really are the one that God sent, the prophet, the one to save, the chosen one, prove it. Feed us again. Because if you really were the one promised to come from Moses, a prophet like Moses, which is... That's the, the prophecy that God would send at one like Moses to be the, the Messiah, the Savior. They say, if you really are that one, then do what Moses did. Because Moses fed the, our ancestors every day for 40 years. If you really are the one that God promised, then feed us again. Prove it. And what they demonstrate is that they grossly misunderstand Jesus generosity. And he says, let's get a few things straight right off the bat. First of all, Moses didn't give you bread. God, the father gave you bread. He gave you the manna. It came from him and the bread that I have to offer, you think you want a meal from me and I've got plenty to provide, but the meal I have to offer isn't the one you think you're going to get from me. It is bread that satisfies, it never expires, it never goes bad, and it never runs out. But it's not the bread you're thinking of. And they think, oh, they they think they've hit the jackpot. I got the lottery winner right here, bread that never goes bad and never runs out. Give us that bread, Jesus, and we'll believe in you. And he says, yeah, okay, I am That bread that never runs out, that never goes bad, that always satisfies. Yesterday, you guys wanted to make me king, but what it means for me to be king over you means that you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. (laughs) What? What the WTF? Are you serious? This guy's cuckoo banana pants. Eat my flesh and drink my blood? The Jewish law has a few things to say about this. The law handed down from God to Moses to the Israelites says, first, you can't eat raw meat. Second, you can't drink blood. Third, it's especially crucial that you don't eat the flesh or drink the blood of people. Cannibalism is extremely illegal, according to the Jewish law, and would result in execution. If you broke these commandments, you will die. And so Jesus is here saying, I have the source of life, a bread that nourishes, feeds, never goes bad, never runs out. And the way you access it is if you eat my flesh, drink my blood. When they hear this, they think this guy is commanding us to break the law of God. And if we followed his rules, We would be put to death and instantly this life giver, this person, Jesus, who is saying, I've come to save, I've come to give you life. They are seeing him as the source of death. But the apostles have already walked through an experience of this when they saw Jesus walking on the water and they understand Jesus isn't literally saying rip apart my body, put it on a spit roast, eat my body. Body, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well, he said, God is spirit and we will worship in spirit. So what Jesus is saying is I have nourishment. I am the nourishment for your spirit. My flesh, consider this, consider this and feed on this feed. Your very soul with the fact that I am God in a body. Feed your soul with the fact that God has, is walking among you. God walks among us in flesh. Feed your spirit. Bring your soul back to life with the fact that my blood, which is going to be shed for you, takes care of the damage, fixes and heals the damage caused by sin. Feed your spirit. With my flesh and my blood. Because my my body is true bread. The fact that God gave up his throne to put on a body, walk through body odor, acne, and, and cramps. Uh, leg cramps, we'll say, not period cramps. Just, you know. Um, the fact that God would do that for us, let that nourish your soul. The fact that while he's a person, he becomes obedient to death, which we're going to discover what that looks like and what that fully does. But Jesus has predicted it. He's warned them this is going to happen. My blood is going to be poured out. Let that feed your soul that my blood fixes the sin problem. Now I can barely try and explain this as a dumb Christian, but Jesus was perfect and he was able to perfectly say exactly what he wanted to say. And the crowd still didn't, couldn't wrap their heads around what he was saying. How in the world can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? There's no way. And the phrase that they say here is this is a hard saying. Who can receive this? Who's going to buy into this crackpot? And and it says that the crowds left. They left Jesus. They abandoned this person yesterday. They wanted to make king over their nation, over their lives. They wanted him to rule. And he said, you need to understand something. For me to be king... Isn't just me giving these good gifts. I'm not a vending machine. I'm not a, 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 you know, a, a love machine that just gives you whatever you want whenever you want it. My goodness is tied directly to the fact that for our, for your, your nourishment, for your life to thrive, it requires that we pour into the spirit that we take the time to do spirit work, spirit worship, to let him nourish us in ways that we've never even thought to give nourishment to ourselves. Ways that don't make sense to us. Ways that seem crazy to us. Ways that are nonsensical. Ways that don't, what does that have to do with my life here on earth? No, 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 no. I want a meal now. And Jesus says, the satisfaction that you get from feeding on my my flesh and my blood in a spiritual sense, the the nourishment that you get is so much more satisfying than any meal you could ever possibly have. And it never goes bad. It never runs out. And it never leaves you wanting more. I, I mean, we always want more of Jesus, but it never leaves you hungry. It never leaves you unsatisfied when we really are able to feed on the fact that God put on flesh and he shed his blood in order to take care of the consequences of sin. And over 99% of the crowd, that eleven to 12,000 or more crowded of, crowd of people, left. And instead of talking about how great and marvelous his miracles are, now they're spreading rumors about how crazy and dangerous this guy is. He's trying to get us killed. He's not here to save us. And they misunderstand the life giver. And he looks at his apostles, the the, the 12 and whoever is still left, and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And they're like, Jesus, look, we don't fully understand everything that you're saying, what it means and how to walk in it but we know if we searched our entire lives we wouldn't find anyone like you you have the words of life the way you speak to us the way you teach us the way that you interact with us and that you do feed us yes you feed our bodies but you satisfy our souls and we wouldn't find anything like that anywhere else in a million years where could we possibly go and that is John chapter 6 this wide expression uh, and this almost a roller coaster of wow Jesus is amazing for everyone seeking him there's this idea that Jesus wants to give everyone who's willing to come to him an experience and an expression of goodness, of generosity. John three 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, he is generous and he wants us to know that quality of him. But he also doesn't try to trick us and say, okay, we'll make me King over your life. And then he, does, you know, like, well, now there's all these like extra things that you have to do. No, no, no. He said, don't make, let's, let's pause making me King until you understand what it really means for me to be Lord and king, ruler over your life. Because ultimately what it means is we're going to have to do some spirit work. We're going to have to feed and we're going to have to really pour into and press into the spirit. Take the time to unpack how we heal, restore, resurrect the spirit and give it life. And it comes by feeding on Jesus, God the son, putting on a body and shedding his blood. And I think there isn't a single person alive ever in the history of the world that wouldn't say that seems like a lot of work. In fact, that seems like so much work. I'm not really sure what the benefit of pouring into my spirit is going to produce. I've never seen anything good come from investing in the spirit. Jesus actually sounds A little bit crazy. But that is what happens when Jesus feeds 5,000 able bodied men and this crowd chases him down for more, only to be met with a little bit of a letdown that Jesus isn't who they thought he was. I've been your host, Jonathan the Dumb Christian. I love you guys. Next time. Anybody else ever feel like you're on a roller coaster as you learn about and try to discover who Jesus is? Because sometimes he's this great and wonderful uh, provider and he gives us good gifts. But then sometimes he wants us to press into things that are uncomfortable, maybe even foreign and terrifying to us. This life giver sometimes looks like death, but if we would just press in, we might discover a quality of life we've never known before. Yeah. Be sure to check out our YouTube Dumb Christian Podcast. We got exclusive content on there. Dumb Christian Thoughts, Dumb Christian Dad Jokes featuring Nick and Dancing with Jesus. Be sure to hit subscribe, like, ring that bell. Here comes the butler. I'm coming. I love you guys. Catch you later.